Hello and welcome. You're listening to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Aurora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Peter Frey and I'm the co-director of the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney, and my producer is Anthony Dockerell and a very big thank you to him. This week, we are going out on the frontiers of journalism, where only the brave, or is it the foolhardy, dare to go. What we are talking about is going it alone. And I'm not talking about the legion of journos who pick up freelance jobs. Nothing wrong with that, I add. Uh, And we'll definitely do a show about freelancing, per se, in the near future. Now, what we are really dealing about uh, here today is the one-person startup, the pioneer with plenty of belief and probably not enough money, uh, pioneers of new models of journalism, community heroes, or just crazy folk. Who really knows? We're going to find out less in the next 30 minutes or so. What I do know is that they are part of the emerging new news ecosystem. And for that, we should all be very grateful. So welcome to the show, Carol Altman, the editor-in-chief and chief bottle washer of The Terrier, (laughs) the independent news site from Warnable, Victoria. Hello, Carol. Hello, Peter. Great to be here. Are you feeling very foxy terrier today? I'm feeling very foxy, Terry, I must say, and also a little bit of Barry too. You know about Barry, my bullshot detector? A bit of him as well. Your bullshot? <laughs> we'll get to Barry in a minute. I didn't know about Barry. Haven't been paying enough oh, yes. attention. He's very important. All right. Of course he is, <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm very busy, I'd imagine. Uh, and, and, the equ- and welcome also to the equally editor-in-chiefy bottle-washing guru, Michael West of michaelwest.com.au. Hello, Michael. Hi, Peter. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a privilege and a joy. (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. And I should add here that we're not only talking about um, uh, startup websites, um, and we're talking about standalone independent journalism investigative sites, that's what I'm trying to get to. So that really is truly the home of the brave. And wait, before we get to Carol and Michael, there is more, because in honor of having Carol on the show, I thought we should also talk in, de- in depth about matters regional, about how journalism is doing outside of the metropolitan cities. Um, in some parts, it doesn't look so good, but in others, there may well be some brighter notes. Anyway, to help us unpick that particular issue, I'd like to welcome Chrysanthi Yotis, uh, a journalist, an academic, and the co-author of the sparkling new report on regional news media by the Centre for Media Transition. Hello. Hi, Hi Peter. How are you going? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and before anyone gets carried away, uh, yes, uh, the, the Centre for Media Tr- Transition is where I work as a co-director. So um, we are going to talk about something that I had a bit of a hand in, uh, but I'm sure Chrysanthi will present a fair and balanced view. I always keep you in line. She does. She does that. So, okay, let's cut to the chase uh, with you, <laughs> Michael and Carol. Um, I suggested that you were either brave or foolish to start your own thing. Carol, which one is it? I think it's I think it's both. I think you actually summed it up perfectly in that introduction. Definitely brave, definitely foolish, probably a little bit crazy at times, but somehow it's compelling and I, you just can't stop. I'm not sure why. But uh, yeah, well, well, have you, uh, well, just on that point, have you actually uh, what have you actually stopped to think? One day uh, I could do a lot of other things. Why do I get up and try and hold oh. Warrnambool City Council oh, yes. to account or whatever? <laughs> I think that every morning, every morning, Peter, when I get up and think, okay, another day on the uh, the front line. But um, 
Yeah, it's funny. I think there's something about us journalists. I'm not sure what it is, but you have that that drive which uh, just keeps you wanting to pursue a good story and to pursue what's going on, and that's what um, I guess keeps me motivated. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's not easy. That's for sure. Mm. Michael. Brave or foolish? Uh, both um, <laughs> agreeing with Carol on this one, uh, Peter. I mean, when I started up about three years ago, a bit, bit over three years now, having come out of big institutional media, I was faced with the situation. I had a mortgage. I love being a journalist. It was the only thing I was good at ever. Uh, so what would I do? Would I go and, as you know, mm. you get paid more for telling lies for a living than you do for telling the truth. Mm. So corporate PR. <laughs> that beckoned. Corporate PR. You'd be yeah, very, you'd be... very ordinary journalist getting paid half a million dollars a year to do corporate PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But I could never live with myself even for one day for doing that. So I just went out blindly and uh, with no business model whatsoever, <laughs> apart from knowing one thing. And that is that there was demand right. for yeah. my niche, which is covering the power of corporations over democracy, which is on the rise. And how did you know there was demand? It was oh, in your gut? I, oh, I've, I've had feedback from emails from people, readers, for many, many years. And when I left Fairfax, uh, those emails continued and then Twitter sort of exploded and realising what a realising how undercovered this area was, so little expertise because people that could read a balance sheet are generally on the gravy train themselves, mm. and they're not going to be criticising the gravy train which is financing their mortgages. And so I'm pretty much the only person doing it. You are pretty well much the only person doing it in, in the way mm. you're certainly in the way you're doing it, Carol. Just going back to you. Um, you could have got it, and, and this is a question from Michael as well, you could have got a nice little job, a uh, comfy job at the ABC, for instance. Why not? I think for me it was demand. And, and right, Tell us about your demand. At the same time. Yep, I, I'm really intrigued. Uh, well, How did you know that there was going to be a demand for the Terrier? Okay, well, pre- previous to the Terrier, I came here and started up something called Bluestone Magazine, which was an online sort of softer uh, combination, excuse me, of um, sort of softer stories, profile stories, that sort of thing about the town in which I live, which is Warnable. Uh, however, at, at the same time, I wrote a couple of opinion pieces about what was happening in the council, and I quickly realised that they were the stories that everyone was reading and everyone wanted more, and the feedback to those stories was enormous. And at the same time, the local newspaper here, as um, you've covered extensively in the report that um, is about to be discussed, uh, mm. was being decimated. Uh, the reporters, the number of reporters was reducing, the sub-editors had gone, all that sort of thing was going on. And so the coverage of local government issues was uh, diminishing. And in in particular, just investigative um, reporting in general had almost evaporated. So the minute I just started to dig into any local issue that uh, was, um, you know, required a little bit more in-depth uh, analysis. Uh, people just responded in, in droves, a bit like Michael. You know, the emails piled in, the uh, the feedback was incredible, and so from there, uh, I decided once uh, Bluestone Magazine finished, that I would just focus entirely on that aspect, which right. is uh, investigative slash opinion slash analysis, and that's been the winning formula. Well, I'm going to get to uh, your funding model, both of you, uh, in a minute, and I'm certainly going to Chrysanthi in one second. But I do want to ask one thing that. Uh, I think if I were in your positions, uh, and I sort of have been with the startup politifact, um, this question of uh, legal, um, 
you would be quite vulnerable to, and especially, well, both of you, in fact, the, often the people you take on or the issues that you take on or the uh, authorities you take on have very much deeper pockets than, than you do. So how do you cope or manage that legal defamation issue? Michael? Uh, well, I, I have a, having had a very close association with, with in-house lawyers over the years at <laughs> News Corporation, then Fairfax. Um, a mutually I, beneficial one. And uh, having provided, therefore, a few swimming pools for defamation lawyers along the way, <laughs> um, I realised that they like to operate in the dark. And so my strategy is, if you're wrong, retract, clarify immediately. Luckily, that hasn't happened much. Or well, once it happened, uh, but it wasn't really a mistake. It was a cautionary thing. And, um, and then go public hard. Name the lawyers, name the defamation lawyers, name the people who are suing you, put it straight out there. They like to operate in the dark, defamation lawyers, to threaten you to muzzle the story, to close down the story. That's their modus operandi in big, bold type up. The top of the letter is private and confidential, not for publication. Yeah. Now, can anybody else in the world send somebody a letter threatening to come round and shoot their dog and burn their house and have, but you can't tell anybody about this because it's not for publication, well, private and confidential? Well, the federal government can with their uh, well, federal government, journals right of information that. warrants. You don't even know they're coming. But anyway, I take your point. I take your point. So, so you basically turn that on its head. Well, basically, I just go public straight away. And mm. I've had three uh, defamation uh, uh, threats in three years, which is about the strike rate generally. Yep. And, um, and none of them successful? None of them have, have, uh, have progressed. All right, touch wood. Carol, how do you cope with that? I don't think you oh, well, use yeah, the, uh, the similar tactic, but maybe it's a model for you. But anyway, what do, yeah. you, what do you do? Oh, I probably pray, I think. Um, I have, um, look, I, I haven't touched wood. I'm, I'm touching wood rapidly because I haven't had any defamation, any defamation actions yet, touch wood. I have in the past in my previous life. Well, we wouldn't wish it upon you, that. that's for sure. No. <laughs> but look, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I take a similar approach. I just make, well, first of all, I make sure that what I'm writing is actually can be supported by facts, you know, of course, number mm. one. Um, number two is uh, I feel if there's that sort of um, chilling effect that's going to happen by somebody threatening to defame, you know, to say that I've defamed them, I would do what Michael's suggesting, which is to make that very clear and very public straight away, mm-hmm. that, um, that this, is the, this is the attempt to, to close down the story. Um, thirdly, funnily enough, and this probably gets to the roots of how my operation's sort of growing, I've actually been contacted by uh, lawyers who are happy to help me out um, mm. pro bono if I do actually hit a, a hurdle. So, um, And also, just as an aside, when it got close to perhaps something like that happening, uh, some readers also said, look, let us know if we ever need to do some crowdfunding to help you with your legal battles. So what I'm developing here, I guess, is a community that supports what I'm doing. And to me, that's that's fantastic because it's just removed that isolation. Mm. Oh, uh, well, well, like that's brilliant. We'll get, to, uh, we'll get to your funding in a minute, but I did want to bring Chrysanthi in on this report. It's called the Regional uh, News Media, colon, the state of play. It was launched recently at the Mumbrella Published Conference in the presence of one person who will have plenty of influence on regional news media, that uh, person being Anthony Catalano, the recent purchaser of some 176 titles from the company formerly known as Fairfax. Chrysanthi, you were in the audience when Catalano said he thought that regional news media is in crisis. Is he, in, is he right, do you think? Well, actually, listening to Carol just now, I think that he may be right. Because if you think about what she just said, the interesting part is that she was able to start the terrier once the demand was there. So once the investigative journalism was gone from the community, that's when the demand came for the terrier. 
Um, and the other really interesting thing that comes out from our research is that the softer stories, um, like Carol was describing with bluestone, that's what's surviving mm. in the region. Because it's easy. Because yeah. it's easier. Yeah. Exactly. Important, especially mm. in regional Australia, it's important to have that sense of community. Of course. Yeah. Uh, however, the investigative stuff is the harder stuff. You know, the stuff that Carol and Michael are doing is the harder stuff. And really, if they didn't have that journalism background, how could they do it? So... Yeah, we might actually be in a more serious position just because these guys are the pioneers who are picking up the pieces of the puzzle. But do we have enough journalists left out there to do this? Mm. And do and do journalists who are trained want to move out to the regions? Well, that's a great question. Carol, you recently yeah. got uh, a bit of a handout, if that's sort of, I'm not meaning it in a nasty way, a bit of a leg mm -hmm. up from the Judith Nielsen Institute for Journalism and mm -hmm. Ideas. And that was to enable you, to, if correct me if I'm wrong, to employ a journalist. Is that right? Correct, yeah. A mental yes. one, okay. And have you found yes. such a person to do that too yet? Uh, not yet. Um, funny you should say, I'm, I'm actually finding that not it's not difficult because of um, uh, the lack of opportunity. I've just got to get the uh, ducks in a row to make it happen because it's not as simple, I've, I found out, as just uh, turning up and saying, can I hire someone? I'm actually, as we speak, uh, just trying to work in with um, some groups here because in particular I'm looking for an Indigenous journalist, so it's a bit more specific uh, because in our region we have a lot of Indigenous stories that I would really like to have covered uh, with an Indigenous mm. uh, lens. You have Framingham, um, Framingham in the community there, right? Yeah, absolutely, and mm. we've also got... Um, uh, we've also got uh, Budge Bim down here, which was just declared as a uh, World Heritage Area by UNESCO. All sorts of stuff's going on. There's all sorts of various groups involved with that. So lots of lots of groups if you're around. I'm just trying to negotiate with them. But look, more more the point. Getting back to what you were saying um, with this more broadly is that the uh, what my fear is is exactly what Anthony's saying is that. Um, is we're not going to have the journalists who are trained to start with to then move into the areas that Michael and I are working in. That's my biggest fear because we are both, uh, you know, we're a result of legacy media or mainstream media. So uh, we bring a lot of skills to this based on that. I'm not sure where that next generation is going to come from. That is a, that is a con great concern of mine. Um, so long term, I'm not sure where we're going with that. But I just want to also add that Anthony Catalano has actually taken over our local paper here, so yes. I'm quite uh, on top of what's been going on with that, sort of keeping an eye on it. And what, one of the things I'm sort of a little bit sort of, uh, surprised by is that they haven't as yet employed or focused on investigative journalism just in terms of having someone come in because you don't need a lot of people. You know, you could have one or two people I mean, I'm one person, you know, you could have one or two people doing what I'm trying to do and really turn things around. I'm, I'm not sure of the priorities, if I could put it that way, uh, with the resources they do have, where they're putting them on. Uh, I think there is still room for that to be improved with the resources that we've got um, in the newsroom here. Well, so, two so, quick, so two quick questions on that. One is, have you, you know, made yourself known to Catalano? And B, if they offered you a job, would you take it? <laughs> the first one, first answer to that, um, no, I probably haven't directly. Certainly that the paper's aware that I'm here, though. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, and that's been an interesting relationship. I mean, we certainly, I try and, you know, in some ways I give them a bit of a poke just to you know, see how things are moving along there. But would I take a job? Um, hmm, that's a very good question. At oh, this stage, probably not. I'm you, having okay. too much fun. You, you can take that on notice. <laughs> Michael, is it hard yeah. to find uh, younger journos with the skill set you need? Well, it is because um, I'm looking for people that can 
sort of analyse sort of financial situations like, you know, be able to read BHP's balance sheet or be able to to know a bit about the stock market, just a bit about financial transactions because I'm focused on the power of corporations uh, in Australian society, basically. It's a bit of a global issue too, obviously, and inequality stems from that and, mm-hmm. and there's money in politics. Those are the sort of things I'm interested in. So... As you know, Peter, most journalists aren't financially literate. I struggle to get there myself. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is these are huge issues. And um, so I really, I'm just entirely funded by my readers. I just, people mm. pay me five bucks or 20 bucks a month. And uh, they do it because it's like you're sponsoring your local hockey team. You say, oh, I'm going to back that hockey team. I'm the local builder. I'm going to pay that, you know, I have name on the jersey or whatever. It's like that. You don't, my, my moniker is you don't pay so that you can read it because there's no paywall. Mm. You pay so that everybody can read it because this is undercovered by the mainstream media, by the corporate media and the ABC. Big business is poorly covered. Mm. It's either either fanboy, fangirl coverage or occasional thrusts like from Neil Chenoweth at the AFR, perhaps one or two people at the AFR, Four Corners. You know, it's sporadic. It's just not enough. And these are huge issues for Australia. But unfortunately, um, there's so much money in business lobbying and lawyers out there that most efforts get shut down. Mm. Okay, we're going to get back to that in a minute. Because, Anthony, back to you. Uh, two things. Uh, this cr- sense of crisis, put it that way, in regional media is not unique to Australia. It's all over the place, right? And in the research you've done and, and we've done at the CMT, what sort of uh, answers are emerging to fix it? So, in particular, in regional areas, the answer is really dead simple. You've got to talk to your market. You've got to understand your market. Um, what we're seeing is that you have to tailor the solutions and actually cookie cutter solutions are, are the, not the way to go. So, you know, uh, some advice for Catalano, don't, uh, don't expect to be able to do one thing in one town and it'll work in that town and then do the same thing in the next town. That's not going to work. Uh, and actually getting back to local people, like trying to survive online, you have to survive online, of course. However, that's not going to help you uh, sustain yourself as a brand. You actually have to create events. You have to be seen in the community, which is, which is a very interesting idea. Um, and it actually goes to what Michael was saying as well about the fact that a sporadic thrust is not enough. You actually have to have that ongoing coverage. If you're going to um, cover your local council, it has to be done regularly. Otherwise, you're going to miss things. If you're gonna, and that's the same with this business. It has business. to be persistent, exactly. consistent. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, Carol, do you, you obviously get money from the local population. Does that come to you or did I, you go to it? Do you, uh, it, it's come. It's come to me. In fact, I think I've got a very similar model to Michael. Actually, just listening to him talking, I started off a, a model um, called the tip jar, which is because uh, I didn't want to use the words help or donate or, um, you know, those sort of words that imply that you are asking for something because you're desperate. Sort of words. I want to use positive words like if you want to be part of this, if you want to be part of the terrier, throw something in the tip jar. And that, that has worked really well because it allows people to donate what they can, when they can, 
uh, and it's uh, it allows the you know as Michael was saying it allows everyone to be able to read the material. You don't have to go through a paywall. Stories can be shared, um, which is really important because I found when you go behind try to paywall briefly with Bluestone that just didn't work at all because of course the stories were shut down to a limited amount of people. So the tip jar approach works really well, and I have surges um, when I write a good piece. I get rewarded <laughs> literally like a tip jar. Uh, and and typically, what would you get in your tip jar in a good week? Without giving away any okay. state secrets, and well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to come and rob you, I promise. But I mean, it's a little bit of a state secret. But but I tell you what, for for a small small operation like me, uh, the the best I've had was around ten days. I made about three thousand dollars. Wow! What did you do for that? What was the, what was the context? <laughs> well, this was the the story I've just been writing, which is still rumbling along about the uh, the misuse of credit cards by. Ah yes, uh, no, I saw it on the site the other day. Yeah, it's a good good yarn. Yes. It's a good yeah, story. Yeah, well, that story's kind of blown open. I didn't expect that to be where to go where it went. But, you know, again, it was just basic journalism 101. I put in a freedom of information application and, and away it went from there. But that story has blown open a whole range of things now within the council about spending, transparency, accountability, all the stuff that, you know, the punters love, so to speak, you know, good grassroots stuff. And as a result of that, people just threw whatever they could afford into the tip jar. And, and a bit like Michael, it ranges from $5 up to $300 that sort of thing um and that really made me uh i guess uh, you know enthused that this was the way to go so i'm trying to formalize that model a little bit more uh it's one of the things again the other half of the judith nielsen funding that i got was to try and uh make it slightly more structured funding model because mine's pretty random at the moment uh but um it's working and that's but, the main thing i'm getting that getting that loyalty and that's what it's all about it is always all about i'm going to ask because i think has something to say and then i'm going to michael about judith nielsen um, I was just going to say that it, the tip jar model is actually very similar to a good front page, right? Occasional readers yep. will reward a yep. paper and that's how you build loyalty. Yeah, newsstand sales, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so I was wondering what was the secret that uh, – how did you get money out of Judith Nielsen? Because not a lot of other people have. And I know my dear friend here, Michael West, uh, has a few things to say about that. Michael, what's your experience of Judith Nielsen? Oh, well, nothing really well, apart yeah. from the fact that I know that Judith Nielsen, is, the foundation, has given money to Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. Yes. And Nine Entertainment. Yes. And The Guardian and a few others. But uh, my uh, – so the submission fell on deaf ears, uh, so I'm a bit disappointed with that because uh, – but then again, I'm realistic about it because this corporate thing, there's not many people. I mean, everywhere I go, whether – any institution, whether it's a university or a foundation or whatever, in the end, they look, oh, what sort of stuff that is it? Oh, he nails multinational tax avoiders and he goes after, you know <laughs> – difficult, complex financial dealings. Oh, no, we, we don't really want to be associated with that because that's all our friends. So um, it's I'm just here with the community backing me with their five bucks a month, basically, and no-one's given me a cent except for one guy who came to me, a very, very successful, low-profile Australian businessman who just contacted me out of the blue and said uh, we had a chat and he's been um, supporting me for a year and a half now, uh, very um, very generously on top of the generous people who support me, the, 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 the people with their $5 or 20 right. and in some cases $100 a month, mm. just to do this corporate expose. So was it, is it Triggy Forest? 
No, it's not Twiggy. It's not, no, it's a low-profile <laughs> person. Not a high, I mean, I like Twiggy. I know, I've known Twiggy for many years. I've never approached him for money. I'm not good at asking for money. But this guy really, he knows there's, a, there's some issues with Australian the, the, the management of the Australian economy, mm. uh, with business, with inequality and so on, and somebody has to do this stuff. And he just bobbed out of the blue and said, OK, I'll support you. That has enabled me, on top of just surviving myself, mm. Uh, with the generous support of my readers to be able to pay journalists, albeit not enough, to be able to pay journalists to do some work as well. And we've got the readership up in three years to about 130000 a month, which is, it's not wow. paywall, but on an average story basis, it's bigger than the rest of the financial press. So yep. um, well. we're, I'm happy with that. We're having an impact. I've been asked to go to appear before government inquiries and so on. Senate inquiries have done three or four of those. Uh, so it's having an impact, and people know that there is no boss riding you. Mm. Uh, there's nobody editorially interfering with you, shutting down stories, and so they know there's a certain authenticity to it. They can feel it, and that helps. So when's the IPO? Well, the IPO is probably a good fifteen or twenty years away. <laughs> well, I'll be pushing up the daisies by then, uh, Peter. Okay. When's your IPO, uh, Carol? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to say if that's 50, I'm well and truly out from that. I'll be another 40 years, I think. Okay. Yeah, I just want to, before, I want to talk about a few other broader um, uh, media things of this last week. But um, one thing that we haven't touched on, which is, I think, the role of government in terms of supporting people like, you, you know, Michael and Carol, Um the ACCC has had an inquiry. There's been, Michael's mentioned, there's been various government inquiries as well. In in this sort of mix are various ideas. One of them uh, from the ACCC is a multi-million dollar fund to support regional and small and potentially small or independent journalism. Um, is this a good idea? Is this what you want? I mean, in terms of one, the the single biggest thing that you that could happen to you from the government sector, is it something like that? In other words, money, or is it something more like tax breaks, charitable charitable status, those sorts of things? First, you, Carol, then Michael. Look very quickly. I think it needs to be a combination of all these things. I think. Uh, if we could get some tax breaks, it would be fantastic. I think supporting the media should be like what supporting the arts was back in the 70s where people could uh, have an incentive to invest. And also some government funding of some description. I don't have a problem with that. I know it's one that, you know, I tussle with in terms of influence and, and those sorts of things. But from my perspective, in the regions, it's probably one of the only ways that we can honestly expect um, some robust and substantial media to survive uh, is to have that sort of uh, support. And thirdly, you know, also, of course, just the readers themselves contributing. I think it's not just one fix. I think it needs to be a smorgasbord. And um, I'd like to see something like that eventuate. Uh, just want to quickly say there that a couple of attempts last time, I know there was a fund, which I can't remember the name, but I know Nick Xenophon was involved in setting it up. And uh, the applications came out for that. And you had to have a turnover of something like $100,000 a year just to apply. So I think it was $3 million, say, actually, Karen. Oh, well, no wonder I didn't get to first base. I thought <laughs> I, put, <laughs> I put my application in, and of course, once I read the small print, I thought, well, that is just utterly ridiculous. So it was called the Regional and Independent Publishers Innovation Fund. That, if, uh, that's, if, the yes, that's the one. That's the one. There's another version of it. You 
It's, yes. I think it's probably easier to get money at the second iteration of it. Yeah, well, I had a look at that. And again, you had to be a, a corporation. So, I, <coughs> you know, you had to have various uh, documents to prove you were incorporated, et cetera, et cetera, and company, you know, all the rest of it. And I just thought it doesn't actually still tackle the, the operators like myself and Michael, in my view, who are solo operators looking to expand. But you can only expand if you get the support. So it's that chicken and egg. Um, so it needs to be looked at a little bit more closely. But, but look, getting back to my answer originally there, I think it just needs to be a, a combination of funding options would be ideal. Okay. Michael? Do you want money from the government? I'm f- I'm fully prepared to never get any money from <laughs> the government. Not because I don't want it, Peter, <laughs> well, because I don't expect that it will come. I guess ScoMo is not going to give you a check, but let's. Uh, but would you take it, or what? What would you like to see? Well, what I do is in the public interest. I'm not doing it to get rich. Of course. So I expect that I should be able to get at least DGD status. But the amount of forms you would have to fill out, and it's a complete speculator to try to get it. And it's like the Judith Nielsen Fund. There are a thousand people having a crack at it that are very good at getting grants. And I don't have time to even write enough stories, let alone fill out long grants forms and chase people for money. But I expect one thing, that the area where I am, and I think with Carol too, with regional, uh, there's demand there and there will be supply. The business model isn't set yet. Uh, but, you know, I've survived now for three years as a small businessman, the world's worst small businessman, the world's most unwitting small businessman who was never prepared to be a small businessman, just wanted to gather news and write it, and now I'm just running around hat. doing podcasts and, and having to run off right now <laughs> to get my car out of a tow-away zone. Right. You've got, uh, you've got uh, one, one, two minutes. I've, uh, got two, I've got two minutes. But uh, your yeah, point yeah. is there yeah. is there is demand. There will be supply. I'm up and running. It will keep going now. It's, I don't expect corporate or government money. I just don't think it's in their interest, frankly, to give me money because I'm probing into their affairs. Right. But the community have been fantastic. My readers have been fantastic. People just out of the blue have been so supportive. And that will continue. And I just hope it, it continues to the point where I can actually pay some journalists properly to do a good job. Okay, now you are going to literally leave this interview now because I don't want you to get towed away because I'll never forgive myself. They'll be right there on no, the spot I know wanting to get my $600 tow away. So I'm, I want to make a plug though. If, you, if anyone wants to donate to Michael West, it's uh, go to michaelwest.com.au. Right, it. It's all there. And, and, and thank you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Chrysanthi. It's thank been you. fantastic. We're going to keep show. talking, but you, you can guys leave. keep on talking. You've got a lot to talk about. <laughs> Thanks, we have, we've got probably another hour. No, no. <laughs> Thanks, Th- Michael. Th- thank you, Michael. Peter, can I just pick up what Michael was saying there? The question is why government would want to support Michael. Well, because actually government works better. And if they claim to any sort of public interest, then they do want to support it. What the international research shows is that if you actually have local newspapers disappear, then the cost of local government goes up. So what Carol's just done in uncovering the waste, that has been shown where news deserts have emerged in the US that actually those those local governments run poorly. So should she get a slice uh, like a bounty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a journo bounty for every malfeasance. Exactly. 5% exactly. or 10% of every dollar it brought well, back. Exactly. That would fix it. And the other thing is that That's local so stories actually uncover wider systematic issues. Right. That's also been shown in the international research. Absolutely. And, and exactly. And if we didn't have people like Carol, we yeah. would have a poorer democracy. The other really exciting thing was that analogy that you made, Carol, to the arts, because if you think about it, when the government did start supporting arts in the 70s, you actually got a democratisation of the arts. And now with the community supporting 
journalism, we are getting to that democratization of, of of journalism in a lot of ways as well. So this could be an exciting time, you know, out of crisis comes opportunity mm. and all that jazz. All that jazz. I, I We're going to have to wrap up soon and it's not just because Michael's left and nearly taken half the studio with him uh, <laughs> on the way out. Um, it's actually because we're running out of time. But I did want to broaden the conversation out to one other thing of this week because I think it's very it – was, it was an interesting moment. And that was the um, – uh, comments by Ida Butros, the chair of the ABC, um, in which she, to her own um, station, I think it was, to the ABC, where she, sort of reflecting on her own career, one thing or another, talked about the ABC being too politically correct in its journalism. She also expressed um, a yearning for the days when there was a strong media proprietor, in her case, Frank Packer, that's Carrie's dad and James's granddad, would throw his opinions around in no uncertain terms. Uh, so Frank Packer was a media baron through the late 30s into the 1970s. He had the Australian Women's Weekly, uh, Sydney Telegraph, uh, among other newspapers, and then, of course, Channel 9. And here are a few of the quotes that are attributed to Frank Packer, which apparently um, the chair of the ABC misses. And I, I'm going to give you uh, three or four, three quotes from Frank Packer, uh, allegedly from Frank Packer. I, I'm, I wasn't there, so I, I'm going to have to put a caveat around it. But here's one, quote, My experience of journalists has been that the more they win, the better they work. That's one quote. Another one is, I am fond of girls and horses. And the final one I have here is, I suppose every housewife is a strip teaser. Do, do, Chrysanthi or Carol, who'd like to go first? Do you think uh, Ida's uh, right to be yearning for such atmosphere in the newsroom? Oh, Chrysanthi, you go first. <laughs> I'm still digesting it. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> look, I've, I've been in newsrooms where, uh, you know, I've been yelled at across the room, you in my office now, and, uh, you know, a robust exchange of opinions is not a terrible thing if the exchange is about the work mm -hmm. and the quality of, of the news. Um, I don't think girls and horses uh, is helpful. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and that every house is a strip tease. Yeah, yeah. look, I just uh, housewife. You know, yeah, I just don't. I just you know. Different times. When, no. 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 I, that's, no. No. Just no. Just no. Just no. <laughs> just Carol, no. is that just no? You don't yearn for oh, someone just, to turn up at your workplace every morning and sort of suggest that you you know compare you to a horse no. or something. Oh God! Look, you know, I, honestly, I sometimes wonder. People like I mean, I absolutely respect Ida, of course, but I just wonder for this this strange nostalgia for a time that we're so glad's behind us. I, I'm just trying to work out what part Ida misses because what I remember of the last sort of you know 30 years or so of my youthful existence was uh, racism, sexism, homophobia. You know, the whole lot was quite acceptable inverted commas um, as jokes. I'm really glad those days are behind us. And I think any woman who's worked in mainstream media on a newsroom floor would know those good old days weren't that good. Um, mm. there, were, there were really difficult times and uh, very serious, you know, very serious um, allegations and, uh, and proof of sexual harassment in newsrooms. I mean, this has been well documented, I'm sure, as we know, academically and uh, in, in, in uh, people's uh, biographies, etc. So, mm. yeah, I have no nostalgia for those times. No. I think we're in much better times now, and uh, thank God for it. Well, just, just maybe to be fair to Ida, maybe she was just trying to G up the ABC. What, what do you think? No? <laughs> Gee, up oh, to look, go where? I don't know. I'm just yeah, trying to trying to, think trying to put another angle on it. Uh, there is no yeah, other angle, right? Yeah. I, I there think is it, no other angle. That's right. <laughs> I think it was a misstep 
on her behalf. A misstep. We, we have uh, we have come to a better place in terms of how people relate to each other, and let's not go backwards. Okay, I'm going to leave it there on that note. I think I think it's a sorry, you just threw that in at the end there. Um, <laughs> and thank you so much, both of you, for entertaining it. Um, I I'd like to a very very big thank you uh, to Michael West who has run off to save his car from being towed away. Um, Carol Altman, may you long may you prosper in Warnable. That's all I can say. Well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I hope so too. Yes, no, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, let's have you on again sometime. Yeah, well, hopefully we can talk again when, uh, you know, when I'm booming along even further. We'll see. We'll see how things go. I, I think it's, I just want to say it's, I think it's a really exciting time, actually, as much as it's despairing in many ways. Uh, I think there are things emerging now that hopefully, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll look back and say, remember when these first started, these little startups, because maybe they'll be all over the place. I don't know. Who knows? But um, well, at least something's happening. That's let's hope cool. so. Yeah, let's hope so. And, and Chrysanthi Yotis. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you so much. Uh, postdoc fellow at the Centre for Media Transition, co-author of the regional news media uh, report State of Play. You can get a copy of that for free on the CMT, Centre for Media uh, Transitions website, which you can find that through DTS if you can navigate your way through it. And, uh, and it's free and it's wonderful. And Chrysanthi, thank you once again for being on the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Chrysanthi. Nice to talk to you. You too. And thank you all for listening to Fourth Estate. The Fourth Estate is produced at the studios of 2SER with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation and is heard around the country on the Community Radio Network. And make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favorite podcast app so you can hear us talk media and politics and a few things in between at your leisure. And we'll be back uh, with more very soon. But in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is Fourth Estate, a you. And my name is Peter Frey. Thanks to my producer, Anthony Dockrell, and thank you for everyone for listening. Good night.